Father's Day, everyone. Happy Father's Day. Before you leave today, please go out to that connections desk there in the foyer. And for the dads, I'm sorry we didn't do it for the moms, but for the dads, we've got maple, bacon, Holy Ghost Field donuts for you. And, um, and it was funny because in the first service, someone was like, wait a second, us wives or us moms, we got flowers. And so we took a vote. How many moms next year you want something other than flowers? Maybe chocolate-covered strawberries? All right, all right, all right. That was the, the vote. Okay, well, we'll just, it's done. So no more flowers next year, you know. So, um, man, it's good to have you guys here today. I want us to get started. One of my gifts I want to give to you as a Father's Day um, gift is a short sermon. Is that cool? And I don't know if I can do that. So... We're going to try. I want you to open up your Bibles to James chapter 2. And while you open up your Bibles to James chapter 2, a lot of times we think of Father's Day as a pastor. A lot of times it's been the Sunday of the year that I preach probably the hardest, heavy-hitting sermon I can possibly hit because I want to get us guys being all that we can be for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And there's nothing wrong with that. I've done that through the years. And, but I heard a good one. I heard a guy say it this way. He said, when it comes to Father's Day sermons, it's kind of like first day of duck season. They call it duck season. Why? Because you're going to shoot those suckers. And I think a lot of dads are like, I ain't going to Father's Day service. They're just going to really, really lay into me and tell me i got to do so much more. And you're not doing enough. And, and I'm just going to go there and it's going to be like... You know, I'm telling you right now, that's not the gist of today's talk. Isn't that cool? And so today, my heart's desire is to say one thing and one thing alone. And when you leave here, I hope this resonates in your spirit for weeks and weeks to come. And I'll say it in the, um, I believe this would be the second person. And here in a second, I'm going to have you say it in the first person. But listen, it's this. God wants you to know, you got this. You got this. Everybody in the first person, guys, say, I got this. I'm serious. Sometimes as men, we doubt ourselves. And sometimes as fathers, we doubt ourselves. But God wants you to know, you got this. Now, there's some things that we can line ourselves up with that's going to help with that to see the outcomes we desire in our marriages and the outcomes we desire in our child rearing and, and such. But, but I don't want the enemy of our heart to get us as men to that point where we just feel like, oh, man, I can't do anything but be the epitome of what the sitcoms say I am. I hate those sitcoms. Make men look like we have no clue. We have no clue. But you don't have to put it on TV. You know? So here's the thing. God has a plan for us. And today we're going to be looking at how he can challenge us and how he takes us on a, a path that sometimes we don't understand the, the end, but what it takes to walk that path so that we can walk into what God has for us and now all along have that confidence that we've got this, that it's okay, God's got us, okay? And, um, and, and here, here's the thing. A lot of this kind of came to my mind when I was with Maverick and Gabriel. A few weeks ago, I told you I was taking my son Maverick. We call him Mac. He's five. We were taking him hiking for his first overnight hike back into the, the backwoods kind of a thing, you know. And, um, and we took his little buddy Gabriel with him. That's Pastor Brantley's boy. And I want to show you a cute little picture. This is these guys. Oh! You want to squish your faces? I'm serious. I just, oh, you just want to like throw them on the floor and stomp on them. Oh, they're so cute. Okay. Do you ever feel those emotions? I don't know why. I just, ooh, so cute, oosh. So here's the thing. 
Brandon and I had this idea that what we would do right after that picture, we tied some logs, like little firewood strips, onto each of our boys. And we started walking up the mountain where we were going to camp. And as we walked, we started telling them the story of Abraham and Isaac. Now, if you're familiar with the story, Abraham, God says, sacrifice your son. And they put the wood on Isaac, and they walk him up, and Isaac says, hey, Dad, where's the lamb? And there's not a whole lot of dialogue. It's just walk, you know. And God is challenging him to be sacrificed at the top of the mountain. And we thought that would be a great idea as dads (laughs) to engage our children, you know, in the hike and to captivate their attention. And by the time we got to the mountaintop, their eyes were as big as saucers. Okay, no, we didn't do any of that. (laughs) But that would be awesome. That would that'd be hilarious. So I give you as your pastor permission for your young children to do something like that, all right? But I'm your pastor. I'm not your wife. So I give you permission, but my wife wouldn't have given me permission. But, but, uh, but no, I, I, all of us as parents, we try different things and we're learning. And, and for most of us, you know, that first child especially, it's the first time you've had a kid. You don't know what you're doing, you know. But God does. And you got this. Look to your neighbor and say, you got this. You know, let's stand to our feet. I want to read a passage of scripture in James. We are, we're going to look at Abraham and Isaac today, but let's go back to Abraham first to see why he had it. Even though he didn't know what was going on, even though he was confused about the top of that mountain and what God had challenged him to do, he had this relationship with God that allowed it all to work out. And I want to point us to that relationship. James 2, 21 through 24, was, and this is the message. I never read out the message, but this is really a neat version on this one. Wasn't our ancestor Abraham made right with God by works when he placed his son Isaac on the sacrificial altar? Isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners, that faith expresses itself in works, that the works are works of faith? I'm going to stop there for a second. The works as a father, the works as a husband, the works as a man, that's where I struggle. Okay? I, I, I never feel like I do enough. I never feel like I've done it right. I never feel like I'm making the right complete decision. I'm about 70% at best on almost every decision, you know? And so the works in my life, that's where I struggle. But what's neat about this, it says you got works, but you also have faith. The faith is God saying to you, you got this. That's the faith. That's God going, all right, apply what you got. It'll never be enough. I'll apply what I have if you'll trust me and watch. You got this. I'll work it out for you. Even if you don't think you can have it worked out for you. It says the full meaning of believe in the scripture sentence. That's what this works of faith is all about. Abraham believed God and it was set right with God. Isn't that awesome? He had a trust in God. He believed God and God worked it out. It was set right with God and included his actions. We're not lazy. We're active people, but our belief is so powerful. It's that mesh of believing and acting that got Abraham named God's friend. Isn't that awesome? He was a friend of God, and it was that believing and acting that meshed those together, and he was known as God's friend. Is it not evident that a person is made right with God, not by a barren faith, but by a faith fruitful in works? Let's pray. Father, right now, I ask that today, we as men, we want to apply our works to you. We want to apply good decisions, and we want to apply good practices. But, but God, we feel at times we come short. And so, Lord, today as we leave here, fill us with that hope that we've got it. Through you, 
through our faith in you, believing in you, Jesus, staying close to you, you'll take up the slack where we leave off, where we miss. You'll fill in the gaps. God, you, you are so good as a heavenly father, and you work all things out for our good, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have your seat. As you take your seat, the first thing I want to look at is this. We need to walk close to God so that you can follow the leader. Walk close to God so that you can follow the leader. As men, leadership really is what we are called to. Leadership of ourselves, leadership of our, our families, and leadership at times we struggle. And so with that, I'm gonna, I want to be a leader. I struggle. I'm going to look at you and follow in the steps of you, my leader. I'm going to watch what you're doing. I'm going to stay close to you because Abraham was known as a friend of God. In Genesis 22:1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. I'm right here, God. There's a closeness. It wasn't that God didn't know where he was. It was that God was looking, are you in proximity to me? Not the other way around because I am God. I'm always here. But are you drawing close to me? Here I am. I am. I am turning. Everybody in a sense, just imagine yourself turning toward the things of God. And as men, that's the most important decision that we have to make weekly is are we going to walk close to God's leadership? Are we going to turn toward him? I'm not saying that everything's perfect. Life is going just so awesome. I'm never struggling. I'm never sinning. No, no, no. But daily, God, I'm turning towards you and I'm following in your leadership. You know, one of the first things that we taught our kids when we went on that, that, that hike with Brantley, the first thing I taught Brantley, no, first thing I taught Gabriel and Mac was this, basically, was boys, if you can't see us, okay, you're in trouble. The first rule is stay in sight of us. You've got to keep your eyes on us, okay? And that was the first rule. You stay close or you won't get lost. And so when we were hiking, they stayed close. Uh, when we got to the campsite, there was a perimeter, and I was able to say, boys, you see that log and that log and that log. I'm going to go walk it and be sure there's no snakes inside this section. You know, when Grant and I were hiking last year or two years ago, there was about a five and a half foot um, 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 timber, timber rattler, beautiful thing. You know, and so I didn't want these kids to get freaked out. I didn't want to get freaked. I wanted to, I wanted to get, I wanted my wife happy with me is what I'm saying. I knew if I came back losing a child or a child getting bit, I'm in trouble. And so, you know, so we walked the perimeter and we found everything in this little area safe. And it was an area probably this big, maybe twice the size of this. And so, guys, that's, that's your perimeter, but you still got to be able to keep your eyes on dad and on, on Pastor Brantley. You got to keep your eyes on us. And so that's the first rule is you got to stay close and you won't get lost. You got to walk close to God so you can follow the leader. Now, I'm not saying you've got to be perfect. And that looks different for everybody. That idea of closeness to God looks a little different for everybody. I'm a reader. How many readers do we have, men? Okay, so it's very easy for you to go, I'm going to read the Word of God. There's other men in the room, you haven't read a book since high school. All right? And then your pastor says, read the Bible. That's a good thing, you should. But it's like it might as well be Shakespeare, you know? It's the, it's, it might as well be, you know, um, 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 the Iliad or something. I just, I, I, it's, it's hard to do that. I get that, you know? Other people like me, I'm telling you, I struggle in prayer. I pray as I walk, I pray as I, I go, I pray, but to pull away and I just spent two hours in the presence of Jesus. I struggle with that. Why? Because I'm hyper, you know? I want to spend two hours walking somewhere, doing something, you know? Jesus, I'll talk to you if you keep up. Come on, Jesus. No, no not quite like that. <laughs> but I've got to keep moving. That's just my personality. And so <clears throat> when it comes down to it, I'm not saying you're 
perfect. I don't, I, a lot of times we hold things up for men. This is what it looks like to be a spiritual man. I don't know what it will look like for you to be a spiritual man. Can, can I honestly say that? Can I tell you what it took for my dad? My dad was raised in abuse. My dad was raised by a man and a bunch of uncles who were womenizers. My dad was extremely aggressive when I was little. And when he came to faith in Christ, that didn't change. Never was a womanizer, but he was very aggressive. And it took a while for that to develop out of him. I would hear him cry to God, God, change me. For my dad, that closeness, that what does it take to stay close, for my dad, it was about two hours a day. I'm just being honest. When I was a kid, dad would get to his room and lost in his room from about 9.30 at night to 11.30 at night every night. You'd see him for a little bit, and he's gone. And when you're coming out of an abusive kind of situation, you were glad he was gone. Thank you. You know, it was like you're eight, nine, ten years old. Like, this is awesome. I don't know where dad's at, but he's not screaming, hollering, and, and fussing, and breaking, you know, doing stuff, okay? So, long story short, that practice of my dad kept up. Why? That's what dad needed for that relationship. That's what he needed to be able to be close. I don't know what you'll need. For my dad, it was those two hours a day that kept him, that God used to change him. And my dad, to this day, my dad's the most amazing, godly. I love him dearly. But it wasn't him that did it. It was Jesus that did it. And about a year ago, my mother said to me, she said, Ross Allen, she said, she said, you know, daddy wasn't always good to you. But, but she said, you know what? I mean, he, he worked things out. And, and, and you and your sister, look how y'all turned out. And, except for the, the twitches, you know, I've turned out okay. And um. And I said, Mom, stop there. I, I love Pop. I'm not saying I don't. And I'm not saying that he shouldn't be honored because I do honor my dad. But, Mom, it was Jesus that changed my dad. It was Jesus that saved our family. It was Jesus that changed our house. It was Jesus that made my dad a new man. And it was like I had two dads, the dad of my real young childhood up to about nine or so, ten or so, and then the dad for the rest of my life who's awesome. I'm still scared to death of him. I am. Just, just flat out, that 70-year-old man is crazy. I'm scared of him. But what I'm getting at with that is, did he do it all right? No. But he got close to Jesus, got close to Jesus, got close to Jesus, got close to Jesus. And for the first two or three years especially, still it would be like, almost like you would call him a hypocrite. Who are you to treat us like this, talk to us like this, break our house up, you know, and then go and act another. It wasn't that he was a hypocrite. He was broken and being healed. And God's saying, you got this, Rick Weiss. You got this, Rick Wiseman, you know? And a heritage has been given to us because my dad could have got really discouraged on himself. I don't never get this. But he just kept drawing clothes. Does that make sense? So that's the first thing is we just draw clothes. So I don't know what that looks like for you. Uh, if a little boy has really good eyesight, I guess he could get a little further from his dad. But that boy needs to be able to keep his eyes on his dad. And if he keeps his eyes on his, bit, his dad, he won't be lost. And I'm just telling you, keep your eyes on Jesus and whatever that takes. You won't get lost, all right? The second thing that we see here is trust God to lead because he knows where he's taking you. Trust him. He knows where you're going. You may not. And this next passage of scripture, you know, really, God, this is what you want from me? Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Go on one of the mountains of which I tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And they arose and they went to the place of which God had told him. My gosh, God is telling him to go sacrifice the son that was the gift that God gave to him. 
And in this moment, I'm sure that he doesn't exactly have a clue what's going on. Why would you ask me this, God? Why would you put this kind of test and this kind of challenge and this kind of thing in front of me, God? Why? Why would you do this to me? And he begins to move forward. And what's beautiful is this is a whole picture of Jesus. If you, if you realize, they're going to put this wood on the back of Isaac. And Isaac, like the lamb, is going to carry this up to Mount Moriah, which is the same hill that Golgotha is, that same area. And they're going to carry that up. Why? Because the lamb would carry the burden of his sacrifice with him to that altar, that place of sacrifice. Jesus carried the cross on his back up the Via Dolorosa to the place of sacrifice. It's a picture of Jesus, a son willing to lay it all down for a daddy. Isn't that crazy? And a father willing to sacrifice it all for the love of his father. And so that's the picture here that we see. And, and really, it's just a beautiful thing. But if you're in the middle of it, what are you thinking, Jesus? And I was so glad all these testimonies today. Didn't it seem like a lot of them were those testimonies? What were you thinking, Jesus? Why this pain? Why that struggle? Why that suffering? Why this hardship? Why did I have to go through this? I mean, a lot of the testimonies really bore witness to that, you know? And so in this situation, God, I don't get it. Why? Why? You know? But when I was taking Mac on the hike, here's the thing. I've been on that same hike a bunch of times. I know that way like the back of my hand. So when I say I need to trust God to lead because he knows where he's taking you, Maverick and the little guys and little Brantley, I'm sorry, Pastor Brantley, he needed to be able to trust. Ross knows where we're at it. And there was a spot where I told him we were going to camp, and we walk up this thing, and I told him, when we get to this one big bend, you're going to see a tree that's laid down. You're going to see another tree that's leaning, this and that. And when we get to that bend, we're going to turn left and walk right into the woods. You won't see the campsite. You won't have a clue it's there. We're just going to walk straight there. And so we did. We walked down. There's a creek. You know, there's the creek. We have to cross the creek. I helped Brantley across the creek. He was a good little boy. I just keep teasing Brantley. I'm loving it. And so, no, but we helped the little guys across the creek, and we had the greatest little campsite. But why? Because Daddy's been there before. I know the way. Uh, God knows where he's going. He's infinite in space and time. He knows exactly the end from the beginning. I mean, there's nothing that is without his understanding. And so with it, I've got to be able to trust that God will lead because he knows where he's taking me. Amen? And with that leading, what would happen in that is literally, I know that this rock is slippery and there's a big log here we got to come over. And, and, and there's a lot of stuff. I've stumbled on that trail and fallen already a few times. So I know, hey, this is coming up. We're going to be careful of this. That kind of a thing, you know. And so the same way God already knows. So we've got to trust his leadership and that he knows where he's taking us. But I'm sure Abraham in the moment thought to himself, oh my gosh, I'm going to go kill my son. But he had to trust God. Just like me, there's been times in my life where I thought with Grant, oh my gosh, I'm going to go kill my son. But I had to trust God. And I joke about that, but, but some of that's not really a joke, you know, because I've shared before about Grant's struggle when he was about 10 years old, struggled with agnosticism. As a 10-year-old, I didn't struggle with that until I was a little bit older, but struggle, can I believe in God? And, and, I, and all I ever would tell him, I don't know how we're going to work this out. I want to teach it out. I want to beat it out. I want to, how do you do that? So all I could say was, you know what? God will make himself known to you, buddy. You keep yourself intellectually honest and open in your heart and look at the things around you, not as coincidences, but as God doing something, and God will make himself known to you. 
And it was about a year into that, he comes to the altar, and this power of God touched that boy. He wept on my chest a few years ago as God made himself known to him. And that continues. And, and this year he goes to camp. I was just so proud of him. He went to camp this year. And normally every year you come back from camp. So how was camp? And they tell you all the games and all the fun stuff. And, you know, Pastor Corey ate a frog. And, you know, all, all, that, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and this year, how was camp, buddy? First thing he says, there was this woman. And she came up. And she asked if she could talk to me and pray with me. And we started talking, and she prayed with me. And then I felt like God had something I was supposed to share with her. And so I kind of spoke it, and I started praying. And then she started really like, like she told me, she said, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I, 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 man, God's speaking through you, kind of a thing. And he goes, and then there was a sixth grade boy that I kept seeing, and he just seemed uncomfortable. He was young, littler than everybody else. And, and, and I just went to him, and I started praying with him. And a couple different nights, I prayed with him, and I just felt like God had something for me to say, and I said it. And, and um, you know what? I just, and he went on and on, not about all the stuff at camp, but I had the opportunity to be used by God, is what he was saying in his own way. Isn't that awesome? I'm proud of that, you know? I didn't do a thing with that. I wish I could say I did. I, I don't think I did. Just kept close to Jesus and kept being consistent with what I do with the Lord and what I do with my wife before my kids. And Jesus loves Grant more than I do. I got this. Can I tell you guys that? I'm going to say it in faith right now because I need to hear it. I got this. You need to hear it for yourself. Say, I got this. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You know? And it was so neat. Grant comes back, and today I was talking to Amy this morning, and she said, did you see what happened with Grant? I'm like, what? Man, he came back Friday, and the, the dumpster thingy he put back behind the house, and the trash he put out, and I went down to his room. He had made his bed and cleaned his room, and there's no dishes. And, and I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, woo God, hallelujah, my son went to camp and left his inner slob at the altar. Hallelujah. You know? <laughs> the victory. Deliverance. Power of Jesus. That's awesome. <laughs> but the thing with it is just learning to trust in God. Because he knows where he's taking us. He does. He knows exactly where we're headed. And, you know, can I be honest? Sometimes my Pentecostal theology messes me up. Okay? If you were raised around Pentecostal theology or Wesleyan theology, Methodist, can you raise your hand? Be honest, anybody? A few, okay. Sometimes that messes us up, and I'm just going to tell you why. Because even though we say we're not, we're kind of blab it and grab it, call it and haul it, believe it and receive it kind of people, you know. If, if I sow the right seed, I'll get the right harvest. Mm, hallelujah. It just sounds good. But how many have sowed some seed and you didn't get a harvest? Or the harvest was really delayed for a long time? Or you prayed a prayer and you didn't get your answer? Because this earth is fallen still. And not every single person will be healed. Now, does that mean we won't stop praying the prayer of faith? No. We're going to believe. We're going to curse the enemy. Hallelujah. We're going to plead the blood of Jesus. Amen. But on some things, God, our Reformed brothers, those that have more Baptist, maybe Presbyterian, a little bit more Reformed theology, they're the ones that really sing boldly. He gives and he takes away. And they rest in the sovereignty of God. To that point where, God, I don't get it, but you're Lord. Now, I'll be honest, sometimes on that realm of thinking, I prayed a prayer when I was a kid. I know I'm saved. I'm one of the elect. It doesn't matter how I live. So there's a, see, there's goods and bad. That's why at Momentum, I try to find a balance in theology. I hope you appreciate that. Amen. And so, no, no, you don't lose your salvation like you lose your keys. Come on, you know. 
But man, we should strive in our faith and work out our faith with fear and trembling and go after God with action. But we see here in the scripture in James, it's not just action, it's works and faith. And sometimes I think that faith, that blind trust, God, you've got this figured out, sometimes that's lost on, I'll just be honest, us as Pentecostals. God, you have it figured out, but I'm going to help you because I'll just fast a little bit more and twist your arm a little more and I'll get what I want. Am I speaking truth today? Now, does it mean that we don't fast? We fast. We practice spiritual works. But there's something beautiful about resting in the sovereignty of God. God, I don't get it. Now, I've learned this. This did not come to me naturally. This is the root of my bitterness for so many years because I thought I had sold enough seed and done enough good stuff that I should just get all these blessings and that's it. And when I went through the stuff, man, I ran away from the Savior in some ways. I didn't stay close in proximity. And so I just want to challenge you as men, rest. Everybody say that. That's a beautiful word. Say rest. Just rest in that, you know. God, I rest in the fact you're sovereign. I'm going to stay close to you. I'm not going out here and doing things I know I'm not supposed to do. I'm staying close to you. But I rest that you got this, God. You're taking care of this, Lord. I hope you're appreciating that reality. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, it says, On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. He saw the place from afar. Sometimes when you're going through what you're going through that God has called you to go through, and you don't understand why you're going through it, it feels like the destination is really far off. What we're experiencing as a church right now, it had gotten to a place where I never thought we'd arrive to that destination, you know? It's a far off. But watch this. This is so beautiful. He says, I and the boy will go over there and worship. That's a great response. When you're not sure, and there's that gap between what you think you want and what you're actually walking in, a great response is worship. Amen? I'm not quite there yet, but I'm going to praise him like I am. You know? I'm going to lift up my voice to Jesus. I'm going to draw close to him in worship, in adoration. God, you've got this taken care of. I look to you. You are Lord of all. That's a good place to be, that place of worship. And Abraham took the word or the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took his hand in the fire and the knife. So they went both up of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Man, it had to have been like a knife in the heart of Abraham. Where's the lamb? I thought I knew God. I thought I understood God's heart and his character. And he's asking me to do this? And now my son asks. But here's what's beautiful. Watch this. In the next passage of Scripture, and Isaac said to his father, My father, where's that lamb? Watch this. In verse 22, 8 through 14, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Isn't that awesome? Sometimes we forget that. That there was a point of understanding in Abraham. He got to a place where he said, you know, God's going to provide. Was that his faith speaking? I don't think it was blind faith. It was trust in the Father because he had been a friend of God to the point he knew the character of God. So in knowing the character of God, God, I know you're not going to ask that of me. That's outside your nature. I know that. I believe there was a season where he wasn't sure of God. But as he draws close to God, he knows the character of God. And in that moment, he could have confidence. Point number three, be confident in God's leadership because he will provide. Be confident in God's leadership because he will provide. Stay close so that you can follow the leader, you know. 
trust that the leader, our Heavenly Father, knows where he's taking you. And then just rest in that confidence that, God, you're taking care of this. You'll provide. Abraham said, God will provide for himself that burnt offering. So they went, both of them together. And when they had come to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Ah, it's heavy. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt sacrifice instead of his, his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Literally, in that moment, it was the ultimate dad save. Remember the video, all the dads catching and saving? It was that ultimate moment where God sent the ram to the thicket. God always knew he was sending provision to the thicket. He always knew that. You've heard the term in the Old Testament, the horn of salvation, you know. That's where we get it, this horn, this ram's horn stuck in the thicket. This idea of God's provision, this Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. We see it in this moment. But God always knew he would provide. Abraham had to go on a journey of faith and a journey of works. And when his works weren't enough, God stepped in. There was no way through works he would ever be able to please the Father. We don't please the Father through works. We please the Father through faith. And Abraham in that moment, his faith in God was exemplary. I mean, in that moment, God, whatever you ask of me, I will do. It wasn't so much the works. That's why he never had to, man, that's a cool revelation. I just got that. I didn't say that in first service. Check this out. Okay, this is hot off the presses. That's the reason why the sacrifice didn't have to be made. Okay, obedience is better than sacrifice. It wasn't the sacrifice God was looking for. Jesus is going to be the sacrifice anyhow, right? So it's not about works. It's about faith. And that's all he had to see in Abraham is faith. It didn't have to go to works. And men, listen, you're killing yourself trying to be the perfect husband, perfect dad, perfect this, perfect that, trying to be all that you can be. And at times it's burdensome. Listen, it's never been about works anyhow. You'll always come up short. Jesus doesn't know. So we rest in the fact that we've got this. I've got this. You've got this. And we rest in the fact that, God, I'm going to apply myself to being close to you, and I'm going to allow you to take care of the rest. In the areas where I come up short, God, you will fulfill. You will be everything that I need. I will not make excuses in why I turn from you. I choose today to turn close to you and to do what I need to do in relationship. In the first service, and I'll close with this, in the first service I said for Amy and I to feel close, there's something that we do, all right? Number one, we give each other the first 15 minutes. What does that mean? And my wife's a quality time person, so she needs this, or she gets empty, okay? So the first 15 minutes of the day is hers. The first 15 minutes when I get home from the office is hers. And the first 15 minutes when my kids all go to bed is hers. First 15 minutes, you know? So... Beginning of the day, we start our day off together, maybe a little bit of prayer, a little bit of scripture. You know, uh, when I get home, I don't get about my stuff. I focus a little bit on her first and know what her day's like. And then at nighttime, when the kids are in bed, before I go and relax reading a Civil War book or something, you know, it's 15 minutes with her. And then on Sunday nights, her and I go out on our date, Sunday night. If we got money, we go get a good date. If we're broke, we get coffee, you know. I think tonight's a coffee date, you know. <laughs> 
I'm kidding. And so my girl needs that kind of attention, you know. And that may not be enough for your girl. That's what my girl needs, you know. Same way. I don't know what you need in that relationship with God, okay. But turn toward him. And in that relationship, figure that out. What, is it, what do you need to walk close to God and you be obedient to that, all right? Is that cool? And as you're obedient to that, he's going to take care of the rest. He'll take care of the rest. If you would, um, I think Abraham's story really does. It shows us that we may not understand everything that's going on in our life at that moment, but God will work it out. We may not understand everything it takes to be that good husband, but God will work it out. That good parent, God will work it out. Amen. Turn to him, turn to your family, and let him work it out. Everybody, one more time, just say, I got this. Yeah, you do. You do. Amen. Close your eyes for a moment. If you're here this morning, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, that first step is to be close to the things of God. If you are not a Christ follower, however you want to say it, you're not a Christian, not a Christ follower, you, you, you haven't been saved, as some people in the church will say, or born again, that's a new life in Jesus as you turn your life over to him. If that's something you've never done for the first time on Father's Day Sunday, what an opportunity you have to get close to Jesus like nothing before. You get so close when you do this that his Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you. That's how close. That's close. And so if you need Jesus in your life, if you would, I'm not going to embarrass you, but just hold up your hand so I can see that. First time you need Jesus in your life. First time you've never prayed that prayer. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? Now let me ask you this. We had a few people. If you, like young Adriana, you know, had gone through a season where you just doubted God and for her, her reality, she felt she had turned her back completely on God. If that's how you feel right now, God hasn't turned his back on you. And if you want to recommit your life to Jesus today on Father's Day, 2016, be able to look back and say, that's the day I gave my whole life to Jesus. No turning back. If that's you, hold up your hand. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, I see hands. I see hands. Let's all pray this together. Say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. My sins are against you. You only have I failed. And I ask for that forgiveness. Jesus, come cleanse me. Come live with me. Let me walk after you with everything that I have. I will serve you, Jesus, all the days of my life. Can you give God praise in here today? Amen. Amen, 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 amen. 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 You got this. You got this. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.